Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'd wanted for ages to go and see the Harry Potter musical, and I just got this like new lease of life where I just I don't know when I was drinking I was felt like I really needed to rely on other people to do things and probably because one of the only things I was doing was really like going out drinking partying which is obviously traditionally something that you don't think of as alone so I started wanting to do all these things so I just remember I, I thought well I'm just going to go and book a ticket for myself on my own and it's like a two-part play so it's like the entire day so I just went to the theatre on my own and it was like such a new experience for me and I just loved it. It was like so much of early sobriety for me was discovering new things that I loved that weren't drinking and a part of that had to be me doing it alone. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword. I learned about me and I learned about things that I loved but I also learned how to do things on my own without other people. Hi, I'm Francesca Spector, and you're listening to Alonement, the podcast that broadens the conversation around alone time. Each episode, I ask my guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. At the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a good or bad experience? Because... When alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. It's a strange reality that when we use words like teetotal and sober, it can quite often be associated with the idea of restriction. But my brilliant guest this week, Millie Gooch, is here to show you how examining your relationship with alcohol can actually be incredibly freeing, liberating you to lead a fuller, more satisfying and authentic life. Millie gave up drinking in 2018 at the age of 26 after realising the negative effects it was having on her mental health. She went on to start the online community, the Sober Girl Society. It's a fun, vibrant, supportive platform for teetotal and sober curious individuals with an Instagram following of over 100,000. Its members include the likes of Sam Smith, Zoe Ball and Florence Welch. 
During this episode, we talk about Millie's inspiring journey towards leading her best sober life and how it's actually helped her embrace her alonement. It turns out having hangover-free mornings are a brilliant time for just doing you. There's no getting away from the fact that alcohol plays such an important role in our society and the way we socialise, particularly as we come out of lockdown. And it was refreshing to have an honest conversation about the benefits and occasional hurdles of a sober or sober curious lifestyle. We also discuss Millie's first book, The Sober Girl Society Handbook, which is out now and between us, it's bloody brilliant. So get yourself a copy. By the way, if you have no interest in giving up alcohol, then this episode is still very much for you. As someone who very much enjoys a glass of wine, but is always looking to be more mindful of my relationship with alcohol, I definitely got a lot from this conversation. And I know that you will too. Millie Gooch, welcome to Alone Month. I've just been catching up on your beautiful book, The Sober Girl Society Handbook. And I am learning so much about sober curiosity and mindful drinking. And I just think it's so important. How, how was it writing it? Because I know that you wrote it alone in lockdown. Yeah, it was really interesting, actually, because uh, when I got the book deal, I didn't realise how quickly we were going to kind of like it was all going to happen, really. And I really started to panic because I got my deadline and I was a bit like, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to fit in writing this because I had I think it was like three Hindus that I was meant to be going on. And I was going on a trip to Sweden. I had loads and loads of stuff on. And I was like, I just don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and all my Hindus got cancelled, my trip to Sweden got cancelled, I wasn't really allowed out of the house. And I think I was the only person who was actually quite glad to be in isolation and have that like alone time, because I literally woke up every morning throughout the first lockdown and just wrote from like nine to five, nine to five, I had no distractions, couldn't go out. And it was quite good, because I didn't feel like I had that FOMO either of like, oh, my friends are doing this, but I've got to sit in and write. So yeah, I think I was the only person who was actually quite relieved in a way so many people have said this about the FOMO because it's so rare to have a situation where you know you're not having to miss things in order to um you know in order to focus in on what an immense project writing a book is do you live alone no so I'm actually back at home with my parents which is really interesting um because I always say that uh, the amount of drinking I did was actually quite financially crippling so um I'm actually in the process of buying a flat at the moment so I'm back at home saving so again that has been really interesting kind of staying with my parents during all of this as a 29 year old woman how have you found it do you think your relationship has changed yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting one, I think, because I, I like to be off on my own. I love being alone. The concept of being alone is great to me. So when they're trying to like walk in every five minutes with always the best intentions, but as parents do, like I'll be recording something like this and they'll just swan in. They'll be like, hi, waving to the person on the screen. <laughs> so that's been like a really uh, interesting one, I would say. But um, they, they know and I know that I'll be very relieved um, in the new year when hopefully I will not be here. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you said that you are a lover of alone time. What does that mean to you when I say the word alone? I mean, for me, alone is quite like a, I think it's got real physical connotations of like space on my own, doing things on my own without the help of anyone else. Um, And just, yeah, physical distance from other people. I have to have like alone time, even if like me and my boyfriend say we go on holiday, if we spend a lot of time together, we'll even be like, okay, so let's have an hour of alone time. He'll go and read his book over there. I'll go and lie on a sun lounger over there. So even being together but still having like alone time like just time where you're in solitude not speaking to anyone just with your own thoughts that for me is like good alone time that is so good you know I'm absolutely in awe of couples who are able to do that successfully because to start with I I think it seems like a really important part of a relationship and also it's something that can quite easily cause friction do you find that Mm. or do you think that you've got to a good level where that conversation about alone time can be one that's had easily and without it coming across the wrong way yeah I think interestingly I my boyfriend has always probably been more of an alone time person than I have so at the start when he used to be like oh maybe we should just have some alone time I used to take it really personally and be like why doesn't he want to like be near me all the time and then when I actually started to think oh, this means that I can have alone time as well. And like really started to not let it reflect upon me, but actually take it really positively. Then it was something that I got into really quickly. And I'd be like, oh, actually, yeah, I want some alone time. But I think your initial gut reaction is not to process it and be like, this is a great opportunity for me to have some alone time. It's like, well, why doesn't this person want to spend all their time with me? So I, I can imagine like for some people who have never really done that in relationships, as it was for me at the start, that it can be quite like a hard discussion of why do you want alone time from me? Mm, yes, but when when you have one of you that sort of already appreciates it, you have that precedent, don't you, I guess? Yeah, yeah. And he's very like, I'm going to do this. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. So that's, yeah, I think it, it's really good. And then you come back together afterwards. And I don't know, I just think it's so important. And I'm so glad that it's something that we do as a couple. And I wanted to talk about, you know, alone in the context of sobriety, because from the book, it sounds like a really powerful personal journey for you um, as an individual. What do you think are the main things that you start to learn about yourself when you explore sobriety? I think for me, in terms of like sobriety and being alone, one of the big things for me was when I stopped drinking, like a lot of my friends still loved partying and still loved drinking. And I was also single when I stopped um, drinking. And I just wanted to all of a sudden explore all these amazing things. I like was waking up at 9am on a Sunday, which was like revolutionary to me. And I wanted to go to morning dance raves. And you know, I wanted to go climb a mountain. And I didn't have anyone who was like, dropping all their plans for me straight away. So it was kind of I spent a lot of alone time in early society and it was the most powerful thing that I think I ever did. I remember I'd wanted for ages to go and see the Harry Potter musical and I just got this like new lease of life where I just, I don't know when I was drinking, I was felt like I really needed to rely on other people to do things. And probably because one of the only things I was doing was really like going out drinking, partying, which is obviously traditionally something that you don't think of as alone so I started wanting to do all these things. So I just remember 
I, I thought, well, I'm just going to go and book a ticket for myself on my own. And it's like a two part play. So it's like the entire day. So I just went to the theatre on my own and it was like such a new experience for me. And I just loved it. It was like so much of early sobriety for me was discovering new things that I loved that weren't drinking. And a part of that had to be me doing it alone. So it was kind of like a double edged sword. I learned about me and I learned about things that I loved, but I also learned how to do things on my own without other people. So it, it yeah, it was really kind of a good link. Yes, I think that's wonderful. I hadn't thought about it in that context that sobriety actually maybe opens up windows of time that perhaps less people are around. For instance, that, you know, Sunday morning slot. It's it's funny, it actually reminds me of when I discovered alonement and when, when I started practicing doing things alone. I, I'm the kind of person that always wakes up at 7am on a Saturday. I don't know why, wish I didn't. It would be good to get those extra hours in. But it's an almost isolated time in that it's very, very hard to find someone to hang out with you at that time of day. And, yeah. and, uh, and, so, and so going for breakfast alone at that time was something that I learned to do and started to cherish and thought, oh, look, I get to do exactly what I want at 7am on a on a Saturday if I have the courage to do it alone so I you know I love that you say that about those you know early Sunday mornings to sort of you know do your thing and explore your curiosity and you know I love that you know the idea of exploring your curiosity that you talk about that in the book that you had that sort of new time um, you know whether that's time that people aren't around or just new time generally that new time and that energy to rediscover hobbies and skills and interests and you sort of rediscover like a bigger sense of pleasure than you had before and also you talk about connecting with almost a sense of inner joy that you that predated when you would ever have picked up a drink I I assume you're talking about sort of childhood um Mm. that sort of inherent joy passion and curiosity um and I think that's really wonderful it really does feel like you're connecting with yourself as an individual there Yeah, I think, look, when you're younger, you have so many things that are exciting to you, you know, like going to the arcade, going to a theme park, eating loads of like blue sweets, like all those things. And then all of a sudden you turn 18 and it's like, okay, well, fun equals drinking now. Mm. And that's your default. You know, it's someone's birthday, you go for drinks, you celebrate, you go for drinks. It just becomes the default for fun for pretty much everything. And then as soon as that's taken away for you and drinking isn't the default for fun anymore you have to discover things that are fun and things that you do enjoy doing and for me that has been such a big thing and yeah like as well as discovering things that I enjoy it has been like rediscovering things I enjoy so things that I loved before you know alcohol became my default for happiness so I I mean this year I've dragged my friends well not necessarily as much towards this part of the year but the start of the year and last year and the three years that I've been sober I've dragged my friends to ridiculous like childhood things like going bowling and you know going to the arcade or trampolining and just like enjoying those things that you used to do when you were a kid and before it was you know except like fun was drinking and even like Christmas is a is a really big one for me you know Christmas before I was sober was just about booze really booze and food were the only two things about Christmas you know eat drink and be merry and now it's like okay well what do I do for fun so 
I really try and like embrace the magic of Christmas as like a child again, which sounds really silly, but you know, like just going to the houses and looking at all the lovely lights and like baking Christmas cookies and gingerbread houses and like doing all those other things that bring you this kind of like childlike wonder Mm. that aren't necessarily getting pissed. And I'm sure people will see that as like quite cliche and twill, but for me, it's just been so lovely to reconnect with like nice, simple, ordinary joys that I think we take for granted as we become adults and those things don't become cool anymore Mm, I love that I love that because you know I think it's uh you know people think about sobriety in terms of giving something up even you know even the word sober you know used in another context to describe someone as having a sober personality doesn't even have to be about alcohol like you know that word has connotations of something being you know being boring or like you know missing out on something but actually the way that you are rebranding it and what I love about it, I think, you know, you write that you want to glamorize sobriety. And, you know, I think from what you're saying as well, um, you know, it, it, in, in this context, drinking alcohol seems like it makes you more boring or at least falling on drinking alcohol as the default way to hang out. You know, it sounds like, you know, taking to your, your friends to fun, nostalgic things like bowling, you know, you're probably one of the funnest friends because you actually have more curiosity and more suggestions and you're thinking outside the box rather than that sort of narrow fun equals drinking as you say um so you know I think that is brilliant and really compelling um and you know I I also I I was wondering do you think do you think you had a stigma around drinking alone do you think that when you did drink then that had to be something that you would do with other people because that was almost a way that you justify it to yourself that it had to be a social thing and therefore that meant you were okay and not not an alcoholic was that your way of sort of justifying it being social when you drank yeah I think for me like the hardest thing about probably sobriety was like other people and other people's reactions and I was really like a social drinker I think I found it hard to be in social situations so I think I kind of when I was on my own I would seem to be okay but when I was like surrounded by other people I really felt this like pressure to drink and I also felt this pressure to be like the fun party girl that I was like traditionally seen as being so I felt like I had this persona to live up to you know like we'd be going out and people would be like oh is Millie gonna get tipsy again and like flash her knickers. Do you think that you would have felt stigmatized drinking alone do you think that drinking alone for you would have meant something different when you were sort of denying to yourself that alcohol was causing problems for you yeah I think there is more of a stigma of drinking alone but I think people always people drink differently I think that's what the problem is is that we think like this is a problem drinker this is a non-problem drinker and yeah I probably had that stigma as well of like oh well I'm fine because you know I don't wake up and the first thing I think about is drinking so there is definitely a stigma and I think that yeah held me back from sort of sobriety for a long time because I thought you know I don't have a problem with drinking I'm fine but I I did have a problem with drinking it just wasn't the problem that everyone else talks about. Mm, That totally makes sense. I think it's really interesting in the book how you say that you have maintained the same friendship group though because you say that you were worried that you wouldn't live up to that sparkly personality that was the party girl but actually your friends have accepted you on your own terms now. Yeah 100% I think 
you know, at the start, I always say they were quite initially, well, ambivalent and also thought the idea was hilarious because they didn't think I would stick to it. You know, we've all been there where I've said, oh, I'm never drinking again. So when I said I'm never drinking again, they, they did not believe me. Um, and I think at first there was kind of like, I always say to my friends, do you think there was a, a point where you kind of like mourned party girl Millie? And they always say like, at first they thought, oh my God, this is going to change our entire dynamic because I was always the leader of the like party drinking. I was always the one making people drink quicker. I was always the one insinuating that we would go to the next nightclub. And they kind of said at first they thought it was going to shift, but then when they realized that it was only going to shift us all for the positive, you know, they weren't going to have to like carry me out of toilets at 3am. I wasn't going to wake up the next morning and cancel all our plans. And, you know, I have been a much better friend in sobriety. I actually, I, I remember my friends have job interviews and I text them and I'll send them flowers because I'm not hung over and I've got the capacity to like think about it. And, you know, I look after them when they're all drinking as well. So, and actually, I think like you said earlier, they don't, I say, oh, I'm dragging them to this. They, they all really enjoy everything I've taken them to. And when we talk about, you know, when we're all together and we say, oh God, do you remember when we did this? all the things that we talk about are the really fun, different things that we've done over the last few years. It isn't always, oh, do you remember that time we went to Bottomless Brunch? It's like, oh, do you remember that time we went whitewater rafting? Wasn't that like the best day ever? So I always say people naturally default, you know, if it's a birthday, okay, drinks. If it's a, you know, celebration drinks, people are actually really glad when you take the initiative and be like, okay, why don't we do something actually really different? And this will be really cool and we'll remember it. I think, we're all inherently quite lazy when it comes to like organizing things with our friendship group because we all know it's a bit of a nightmare as well you know someone can't do this day and then someone drops out and so I think it takes a bit of organizing and a bit of like rallying people together but I think people are actually really happy to do different and interesting things so yeah they have become my most supportive cheerleaders I always say now if I had a drink in my hand they'd probably knock it out to be honest (laughs) Oh, Millie, that's so lovely to hear. And I think, you know, so inspiring to so many people listening to this who perhaps worry what it would do to their friendships or their relationships if they were to become sober or to drink a lot less. Or, you know, I think it really is so important to see that journey and to know that, you know, if you have that close group of friends, they're not going to ditch you because you stop drinking alcohol. In fact, you can become such a positive asset within that group uh you know equally though those feelings are understandable you know amongst your friends as well change is scary and that's I guess that's interesting to have seen their sort of their journey as well sort of wondering how the dynamic would shift but as you say you know it brought everyone up it it, it became a positive thing for everyone moving on to so I also want to speak about the perhaps loneliness that you might have experienced along the way because you know it wasn't always the easiest journey to come out to this positive state of everyone accepting your sobriety yeah I think I mean I think there's two parts of loneliness really I think there's the loneliness when you are drinking because no one seemed to experience drinking in my friendship group like I did so I would be on a level with everyone else on a night out but when it came to the next day I used to suffer with like crippling anxiety so like what we call like the beer fear but for me it was like on speed And, you know, I would wake up and I would be instantly panicking the minute I woke up and I'd be ringing my friends, what should I say, what should I do? I can't remember this. 
no one else seemed to I also suffered from blackouts which is where I would like forget parts of my nights and genuinely just forget them like they were like blank spaces and no one else seemed to suffer with that like my friends all seemed to be fine the next day even if I thought that they had been as drunk as me the next day they all remembered everything and none of them suffered with a hangover like I thought I did and that felt quite lonely because I was like I don't understand why I feel like this when I drink why does no one else like what's wrong with me why can't I drink sensibly or why do I always take it too far so that initially I think made me feel quite lonely and then when you stop drinking as well there can be an element of loneliness there because even though my friends were super supportive they don't get it and it it would be like if you were the only single one in your group and all your friends had partners they can be as supportive and as amazing to you as possible, but they don't get what it feels like to be the only one who isn't the same as everyone else. So I found that quite lonely, not knowing another single person who, like me, was not drinking and had decided actually they wanted to still, you know, like have fun and go out. I wanted to talk to people about like, what's it like to go on a sober date? Or do you have any good recommendations for non-alcoholic wine? And I just didn't know anyone else. So So that was kind of like the second part of loneliness for me was there was loneliness when I was drinking and then there was kind of loneliness in sobriety. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We talk a lot on this podcast about the loneliness of certain life stages, whatever that is. You know, we are social beings at the end of the day and we're social beings and we navigate the world quite often on based on what our peers are doing. Um, You know, but the wonderful thing is we have, the internet, which of course gives us access to so many more people. And, you know, the wonderful thing is that you've created the Sober Girl Society community, which of course takes that loneliness away. You've become the example that people can point to and say, look, you know, look what Millie's doing, right? Yeah, I mean, it was the reason I started Sober Girl Society was it was because it was something that I needed. I looked online and I couldn't find, there was like a few groups in the US, but a lot of them were kind of rooted in AA and a lot of them were kind of for mums talking about mummy wine culture and I couldn't Mm. find anything that was for like millennial women full stop pretty much um and British women as well and I was 26 when I first stopped drinking and everything that I saw on the internet didn't reflect my experience I was having a really positive experience with sobriety and it like you said earlier there's this connotation that it's like you know giving up but for me I'd only realized that it was a gain. I was gaining time and energy and productivity and more money. And I just couldn't find that reflected online. And I couldn't find people who were talking about it. There was like a few individual voices, but there were no like communities or groups. And at the time I followed different groups like Anti-Diet Riot Club and communities like that who all had like a a same purpose. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if there was one for girls who don't drink or are thinking about changing their relationship with alcohol so I thought oh you know I'll start it maybe I'll get like 10 followers and it just boomed and I (laughs) like I still have no idea why people like oh like are you really good at social media I was like no like I have no idea it's just that I obviously felt there was a need for it and other people obviously felt there was as well and you know then we started running in real life events and For me, it has been just as important to my sobriety as I think probably anyone else's is to meet people like me who are doing exactly what I'm doing. I've got some genuinely best friends from doing Sober Girl Society and running the meetups now who just have made me stay on my sober journey and 
always remind me why I'm doing it and just to chat to them and be like oh my god at, at the six month mark did you feel like this and you know how did you celebrate your year sober and have you had a problem with this and just finding people who are at that same life stage as you is just amazing and yeah I'm so glad that I, I created it on a day where I really needed it <laughs> Yeah, well, it has, uh, as you say, you know, you, you, you're being very modest when you say you say you're not good at social media or you're not, you know, you're not like a social media expert because, you know, 100,000 followers later, I think <laughs> you're certainly doing something right and certainly connecting with so many people. And I think, you know, as you say, you know, it's, it's, it's when there isn't something available and, you know, you, you really felt that need for it and, you know, you were very right. And outside of lockdown, you run sober brunches, don't you, and sober, sober raves. Yeah, we do. Um, So our signature is our bottomless boozeless brunch, because I think, you know, everything I looked at again with sobriety was all about, you know, meetings and and sharing circles. And I thought, well, why can't we just do things that like people who do drink do, but just without drinking? And they're really lovely because I think there's no pressure to like come and divulge your deepest, darkest secrets like there are traditionally in other kind of sobriety, you know, meetings and things like that people will just come there's no expectations you just sit down you meet women like you and then by the end people are sharing their deepest darkest secrets but there's no like pressure to feel like you need to come and you need to share and you need to talk about your rock bottom or anything like that so that's that's one of my favorite events and then you know one of the common things that we get is people say that they you know how are they going to dance without a drink so I thought well let's run dance classes and show people that you can um, you can do it without drinking so we have a choreographer who um, runs it's called Diva Sweatfest, and he does like Beyonce, Mariah Carey, Ariana and they're just like it's not even routines you just go, like follow the like so, like follow the leader basically and it doesn't matter if you're going wrong it doesn't matter what you're doing it's just kind of giving you the confidence that you can actually go out and you know have some basic rhythm without drinking. Yes, yes. See, this is something that speaks to me. Uh, I, I've, I've actually been to a sober rave a very long time ago, and sadly not one of yours, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But the whole, the whole dancing sober thing, it's, it's a bit like, so I, I'm pretty convinced I speak fluent Spanish when I'm drunk. And <laughs> I also I also think I'm a, you know, I, I also become a much more confident dancer. I'm sure neither of those things are much better. And I think it's interesting because I, you know, I think to say, look, dancing is something people struggle with. No one's going to be a better dancer when they're drunk. They're less self-conscious about it. And so there's almost a sort of, well, why not tackle the root of the problem and actually become a better dancer? And, and then you'll be more confident rather than sort of living in the state of, um, of ignorance. So I totally, I, you know, I think I really endorse that. Um, whether you know whether you're sober sober curious or not you know I think just learning to dance and learning to you know be able to enjoy these contexts without having to be drunk for them yeah and I mean I think that's half the battle like you can do all of these things without drinking it's just having the confidence and I always say like practice makes perfect my first sober date I was terrified but then you know once you get to date five you're like oh okay well I've done done it now so it's just like everything once you do it a few times without booze like this 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So many things that you're like, oh, God, I couldn't do that without a drink. And you, you could. You genuinely could. You just have to practice doing it and not rely on it yeah yeah um no I think it's it it, it's true and I think you know there are very few contexts where people will actually be a better version of themselves or how how do I want to put this there are very few situations where someone will actually be more skilled at something Mm. because they are drunk it's more you know it's 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 more that sort of forgetting that you know your your inhibitions um yeah and I do you know I do I think do think the the other approach of you know actually if you're struggling to date sober why not work on your dating ability rather than again be in that state where you know you might be talking rubbish and slurring or whatever but you're just unaware of it you know I don't think that blissful unawareness is necessarily what we should be striving for no (laughs) it's 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 so interesting I, you know, I wanted to also talk about that loneliness from the mental health angle, because you speak about something called anxiety, which I think we're all very familiar with anyone who's ever had a drink. Um, And you say that that was something that you experienced worse than your friends. Could you tell me a bit more about that state and, and the loneliness that perhaps was inherent in that? Yeah, I mean, I used to wake up on a hangover and I literally used to feel like I'd kind of 
just emerge from a swimming pool like I all of a sudden my heart would be racing and I'd like would be gasping for air and then it was like it was like someone had just like ripped the night before from my brain and I would be like where is my bag where is my phone have I got all my stuff like I don't remember what I said last night I don't remember like getting home I remember one time which was probably one of the scariest incidents was I was in London um, with my friends celebrating what we deemed as tequila Tuesday Uh, and I got I woke up the next morning and I had no idea how I got home and I had these weird visions of me crying on a street corner and I in the visions as well I remember there was like an NCP car park there and I had to get home from London to Kent so I I mean I've got no idea I looked at my Uber on my phone and it said it had like chucked me out halfway through and I like googled the postcode and went on like google street map this was all while I was hung over and frantic and there was like an NCP car park in the background and then after that I have no recollection so I have no idea how I got from this NCP car park all the way back to Kent like I just don't remember it's like a complete mind blank so things like that started happening to me and I would just wake up the next morning and even if I'd only had like two or three drinks I would wake up and like feel really nervous and a bit on edge but yeah no one else seemed to suffer like I did you know everyone was a bit like oh god I feel sick I've got a banging headache like my memory's a little bit fuzzy but I seem to be the only person who was like losing chunks and, and you know there is a real science behind blackouts but for me that kind of like mental health angle I I really felt like there was something like wrong with me in the morning that I was like so anxious and yeah it it, it is a really lonely place to be when you're saying to people oh my god do you feel like this and they're like well I feel feel a bit a little bit but not as much as I was so that was yeah quite a lonely place to be I think and for me it kind of continued so whereas everyone else felt ropey for a few hours Sunday morning and then felt fine by Sunday afternoon for me it was starting to write off like Monday Tuesday Wednesday I'd feel like half normal again and then it'd get to Thursday and I was like a goldfish because I'd be like oh I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go out and drink and just got into this like real cycle and like you were saying it it, from my perspective it probably looks like alcohol is quite boring and and it it, it was starting to get like that because I was just like week in week out waking up hungover anxious feeling really crappy for the start of the week then starting to feel better again and then doing it over and over again and my life just started to be like groundhog day of hangover anxiety so yeah that was that was quite I think a lonely place to be and I I started to like read about it and I knew that some people did suffer with it but when it wasn't directly anyone in my friendship group I found that really hard. It's such an interesting point that you were saying how much anxiety affected you throughout the week because you know I think you you say in the book you know that at one point you stopped drinking at work events and you restricted it to the weekend so you describe yourself as a weekend warrior Um, and yet the idea would be that that was restricted to the weekend and perhaps the mentality would be okay I only drink at weekends so that's only I don't I mean it's still a big chunk of your week but that's you know that doesn't affect my life the majority of weekdays but actually what you're saying is it really continues on and then it just the cycle started again if it actually affected the bulk of your week yeah a hundred percent I think because you know I was working in magazines at times had a five day a week job and it was often the evenings as well and so my weekends were the only time I had to relax and like recoup and regroup and I was spending them completely hungover feeling embarrassed feeling mortified feeling hungover and anxious 
it would get to you know Monday and I wouldn't feel refreshed or replenished at all and I just like kept going and going and I was exhausted I was always suffering from fatigue my eyes always looked bloodshot you know I I did not look the picture of health and I just think it really started to affect me overall because I started to like lose confidence I was always kind of like slightly on the edge a little bit I always felt I said like a little bit sad I never went to the doctor about it but you know I just didn't see the joy in life really anymore it sounds silly but the only thing I found joy in was going out and drinking because it was the only time that the kind of anxiety was quiet and and like you know my mind actually shut off was when I was not drinking and then you know I say you get into this like shame spiral as well of you know what did I do last night I can't believe I did that I'm so embarrassing like I'm a terrible human I can't believe I like spilled this secret and then you know you 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 then start drinking because you don't want to hear all those voices about what rubbish human being you are and then you you know you mess up again and you get into this like real anxiety shame like spiral and it's just really hard to get out of Hmm. that is interesting yeah um and the problem is I mean you speak in the book about this it's not something that you can you can keep away you know you can stop yourself feeling forever is it you talk about the process of sobriety in those first I think you say it's three or four months and you describe that as the pink clouds when you yeah. when you give up alcohol and you're sort of you know you're, you you you'll describe it better than me of course but you know you you are in that good state and you don't you know it, it's mentally healthy and then you say that you had what you describe in the book as a breakdown when yeah. when that period ended yeah it's funny because I actually debated whether to put this in the book or not because I didn't want to like put anyone off sobriety but I think for so long I was managing my emotions with alcohol so whether that was stress or anxiety you know it was oh I've had a really crap week I'm gonna go out and drink or you know I feel really anxious like I I feel really insecure I feel socially anxious I'm gonna drink because I was fully managing all of my negative emotions and probably even my positive ones with alcohol and then I cut out alcohol and I just felt amazing. I was like, I'm not making silly decisions. I'm not suffering from hangover anxiety. I've got loads of energy. I feel more productive. And it's like anything, you know, if you discover something for the first like three months, you're going to be like, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, so I went on a trip to uh, Canada and I came back and I just started feeling like really weird all the time. I started feeling like really anxious and I kind of started feeling like I wasn't in the room and it it was just the weirdest thing to experience. And I remember at the time I was like, there's something wrong with my brain. I don't know what it is. And I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, I think you're really suffering from like quite bad anxiety. And I was like, no, I've definitely got something wrong with my brain. Like I, I wouldn't accept that it was like a mental health thing. And what I kind of realized, so I I was really lucky, I went to therapy. And I kind of realized that for so many years, I had been like managing all of my emotions with alcohol, that as a human, I didn't really know how to process emotions, I didn't know how to sit with feelings. I had never experienced stress, really, because as soon as I felt stressed, I'd be like, right, I'm gonna get a drink. And then, you know, that's it. And I hadn't ever sat there and worked through things and so that was like the next hurdle that I had to face I was like okay how do you actually sit there and how do you like embrace stress and how do you make it through without you know reaching for a drink and how do you go through a heartbreak and then not go out and get completely plastered and it was like my my body was overloaded with all these new emotions that I was experiencing and it would just like check out so I would just like get this feeling that I wasn't 
in the room but yeah thankfully I had um it was only within like like three or like four therapy sessions that all of this happened and I started to put in like good coping mechanisms and started doing a lot more stuff for stress and and it really helped and then I did it for like three months and I mean touch wood since then I just feel like I have been the most mentally healthy that I've ever been in my entire life that's brilliant and you know I you know I know that you said you were unsure about putting it in the book but you know I and I'm sure so many readers when they when they get their hands on on a coffee will will also feel the same because I think you know it's it's difficult I I, I do I actually um really empathize with this because I had this when I was writing alonement um, because I knew the journey that when I started spending time alone obviously those thoughts flood in and you have to tackle them uh you know perhaps in a in a less severe way or I don't you know I don't even know I think that you know for me socializing or using my phone quite a lot that was a way of escaping my emotions um and I think that you know I was almost addicted to that social fix and that you know that that way to escape even an hour alone um and so you know I think I you know I also write in my book how look I know that this is a hard sell but sort of embracing your own thoughts is it's the gateway to alonement. And I think, you know, I think sobriety has, you know, or long-term sobriety, indeed, once you get past that pink cloud state, as you call it, you know, it does, it does make that process necessary. But of course, it's a beautiful one and an important one and a long-term, very important one, I'm sure. You know, as you say, you, you know, since having those three months of therapy, you've got to a much better state, and you don't feel like you're going to go back no and I I think as well like we say kind of like long-term sobriety but I think even sober curiosity or mindful drinking I think there's a whole process of just not necessarily managing all your negative emotions with alcohol like I don't think it necessarily all like for me it's abstinence but it can still be a thing for people who don't want to completely cut out drinking. I always say like, if you are going to continue drinking, like the whole concept of sober curiosity and drinking mindfully is all about questioning why you're drinking. Like, are you drinking because you want to celebrate and you want to have fun and you like the taste of this drink and you're going to sip and you're going to enjoy it? Or are you mindlessly consuming because you're stressed and you just want that emotion to go? So there's a whole process that you can do, even if it's not abstinence of like reworking, your relationship with alcohol and, and not just using it to get rid of those negative emotions and to n- avoid sitting with your feelings, basically. Absolutely. And and I think that also maybe addressing things in your life. I mean, just to take an example, the whole, you know, the dancing thing to, you know, perhaps someone might get really, really, really drunk only in occasions where they have to dance. So it's, you know, it's kind of saying, well, you know, if you have a healthy relationship with alcohol every other time and you're able to moderate your alcohol intake every other occasion, but you get really drunk when you have to dance, learn to dance. You know, I guess it's that mindful drinking approach to every situation. Yeah, it's like, oh, am I drinking this because I'm socially anxious? Okay, well, what could I be doing instead that could be helping my social anxiety? Is like drinking is not necessarily always the problem. There's a problem underneath and you drink it to mask it. So that's, I think, like you say, it's always looking at, okay, well, what is the root cause? There's a really good, um, that I put in my book, it's called HALT, which is quite a good technique in kind of sobriety circles, which is hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So it's actually thinking, okay, do I really want this drink? Or, you know, 
is it because I'm hungry? Maybe I should eat first, like address those issues first. And lonely is in that because lonely is such a big trigger for people to drink. So, okay, is it because I'm lonely? Maybe I need to make some social connections instead before I think about drinking. So it's like addressing all those root causes that actually could be the issue and not the fact that you want to drink. It's like, well, why do you want to drink? Yes, that's so important. Yeah, I, I love that health strategy. I hadn't come across it before I read your book. I think it's a wonderful one and I think again it's you know it's it's because you get closer to yourself um and you know there was something in your book where you talk about uh and I've never actually heard this term either before um you know personality positive how mm. how you know when you stop drinking or when you reduce your drinking you, you say that sobriety is moving closer towards the naturally real and authentic you and you become more aligned with your morals um which I really love yeah, I, I mean, I haven't trademarked it, but I think I've come up with personality positivity because for me, like there is such a big movement now of, you know, body positivity. But when it comes to like our personalities, I say in the book, like we're kind of like carefully curating them to be like less boring, like less socially anxious. And I want to say, well, you know, well, what's wrong with being a bit boring? Aren't we all a little bit boring? Don't we all secretly like, you know, getting into bed at 9pm and putting our pajamas on? Like, why can't we start embracing those bits? Why do we have to feel like we can't be awkward or shy? Like, why do we feel like we need to be louder and we need to bring all this stuff out of us? And I just think for me, drinking... I am like the most authentic version of myself and that's not perfect because I'm not perfect. It's like, sometimes I am socially anxious. Sometimes I'm shy. Sometimes I am boring. And you know, all those other things that we see as negative, negative emotions, you know, like even weepy. Sometimes I am like a little bit sad and a little bit crying. Like why do I instantly need to like reach for a drink to make me feel better about that? It's Mm. yeah. That's, that's kind of like what I think personality positivity positivity is is kind of like embracing all those things that we we see as like negative personality traits or you know all those things totally it actually it makes me think about the way that we date and that it's almost it's very you know it's very commonplace to have a drink on a first date but actually you know and and then people find it strange that they don't quite like the reality of someone one month down the line um when they have a dull phone conversation or when they're you know sitting watching a movie together and just on the sofa and not really doing much yeah I I mean I went on so many dates where I came home and was like this is the one and then realized that it was just the gin talking so I think at least you know straight away if you're gonna like that person I think that was a really big one for me is when I went on dates I actually really worked out if those people were aligned with my morals and what I thought was important so do you think that when you went on those dates you had a clearer idea and you maybe had a clearer idea of the chemistry between the two of you and you knew what to expect after the date yeah I think I mean I know you should never say after like one date that like you can really see it going somewhere but for me it was just so much more obvious when I was drinking I'd be like oh I need to go on like two or three dates to like suss them out Mm. but when you're not drinking you can be so like clear on a date and like ask the questions that you want to ask and like really feel if there is authentic chemistry there there's like a whole I mean this is a whole another conversation but about like sobriety and spirituality and how alcohol can really like dampen your energy so even like sitting opposite someone you might think that you know like the gin is actually like creating this spark but really you're going to feel natural energy 
a lot more clearer if you're not drinking and like natural chemistry. And that is definitely something that I found is I could really feel authentic connections with people when I wasn't drinking, as opposed to when I was drinking, those connections were sometimes created by the booze and and not like real connections. That is fascinating. So you would advocate, even if someone isn't sober, you would advocate sober dating as a much more effective dating strategy perhaps oh my god so much more efficient like a lot of people I mean there's a a bit in the book that um my friend Megan who I kind of met around uh the same time that I stopped drinking and she always says for her it has been such a good thing and it's helped her like spot red flags easy you know like those things that you just might not pick up on because you're like a little bit tipsy and you're happy and giggly Mm. but she said like it just really she can see from the first day if it's actually going to go somewhere and those red flags are obvious and the things that they've got in common are more obvious and it is just a much more efficient way of dating I think and then also you're not hung over the next day so you know if you want to do another date the next day you're not feeling like crap so you can so you can get through them quicker it's funny it's funny you know sober dating obviously just coming out of lockdown and it's a period where dates are quite often very Jane Austen sort of you know walks around the park which I mean as, as lovely as that is I'm not quite sure I think the lack of eye contact can be quite difficult in those situations not you know not so much the lack of booze although it's definitely you know it it's something that people are perhaps not as used to and sort of relearning that way to date what would what would your ideal version of a sober date look like how as in logistically what would what would that be Um, I always like to make sure that there is an activity at like at least the start, because I think if you are feeling anxious about it, the last thing you want to do is like sit opposite someone while they're like questioning you or like interrogating you. So, you know, like the usual mini golf bowling. And also like for me, that's a really important thing to see if someone will be up for doing things that are different to not drinking. If I was to suggest doing something like that and they were like oh can't we just go to a bar then I know straight away that that's probably not the person for me because I don't want to just go to bars so that would be like my ideal date I mean I always say I became like a a semi-professional mini golfer when I was dating because <laughs> I went so many like to like junk junk your golf and um yeah that would that would be my ideal date but I would actually be really interested to see how lockdown changes um, like dating and whether actually it might encourage people to do more dates going forward that aren't necessarily in a bar and drinking because I think it is quite nice people do seem to be doing like different and interesting dates so I'd, I would be really interested to see if it changes anything. And moving on to the alonement section of this podcast you spoke earlier about going to see the Harry Potter play by yourself before which I absolutely adore that you did that and you know that's such an great example of just you know following your curiosity and just you know just going for it because that's a that's a long two-part play right oh yeah so. and then I treated myself to a solo McDonald's in between <laughs> yes oh yes I, I, was, I was like what's what did you do in between because yeah there's quite a gap isn't there uh, that's great uh, you know what what else is part of your alonement now again I think it's probably quite looks quite different for you now since your sobriety and yeah I mean I think one of the things is probably like meeting up with new friends because this is I know it's not technically a moment but I feel like that is like um I don't know quite a brave thing to do on your own to go out and meet new people not necessarily in a dating capacity mm. so technically not a moment because you're not alone but it still feels like a new 
thing that you're doing like no normally you meet new people you'll be with a group of friends but this is for me going to meet sober girls off the internet of like that was that was a big thing in my early sobriety was actually having the courage to go and do something in a setting that felt really different and unusual to me I'd, I'd been on dates but like I'd never met up with girls in like a friend capacity on the internet so that felt like a thing for me so that that in a weird way felt like alonement I think because it was still like a thing that I would have relied on other people to do really to like give me social confidence but Mm, yeah yeah. I I mean I know what you're saying there I think that I always found it difficult if I was in a social scenario with maybe just one other friend who I knew really well or a boyfriend you know I, I think because you almost you present the version of yourself which is almost mediated through them, don't you? Whereas yeah. I think if you're meeting entirely new people outside of any social context, you are showing up as yourself, quite authentically you. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, yeah, technically not alone, but also felt like a really new alone thing that was mm-hmm. scary and I was doing on my own. And then I think, you know, like starting Sober Girl Society, I, I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing, but I was like, I'm going to, create this so I like taught myself loads of things I like learned new skills and spent a lot of time on my own reading and like self-development that was like a really big thing for me at the start because I had all this like time and productivity and energy and yeah even like you said just having like solitude in the mornings when everyone else was you know hung over I would go to the gym at 8am on a Sunday and be like there's no one here so <laughs> Even feeling like I was the only person who was like awake in the world, that for me as well was like a low moment. Yeah, that's so funny about the gym at 8am. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the other time I find, and it's bonkers that no one goes at this time, but, you know, 5pm on a Friday, I, I used to I used to go sometimes, you know, then go for dinner afterwards. But yeah, it's, it's a very, for some reason, very abandoned uh, time where you do get to be... Yeah sort of yeah alone alone with the weight section that's always nice yeah yeah I hate going into the weight section because it's always just full of like intimidating men who I just always feel like are gonna laugh at me so that is a good thing is to go 5 p.m on a Friday or 8 a.m on a Sunday and have the entire weight section to yourself and what sort of reading were you exploring um, when you were setting up the Sober Girl Society what were your favorite books that you were immersing yourself in I mean, I read every, like, so we call them, like, quitlet uh, sobriety books on the planet. So The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, Sober Curious, you know, The Easy Way to Stop Drinking. I, I read all of them, This Naked Mind. Um, and then I also just read, like, outside of that, because, like we were saying earlier, the root cause isn't always, like, drinking. It's, it's something deeper than that. So I read like more self-development books I like read about my brain and then I even started reading a lot more fiction as well because it was just a good way for me to like switch off as well Mm -hmm. so I did like a whole kind of like 360 of reading um and that that felt like good alone time to me because I I never really read before I stopped drinking because I was always hungover so yeah that but I mean the the quitlet books I I read a lot because I just I felt like if I was going to set something up although I always kind of put this disclaimer that I'm not a therapist I'm not an addiction coach I'm not a professional I felt like I still wanted to arm myself with all the knowledge that I could so I read basically everything there is to read about sobriety and and alcohol (laughs) yes and you reference um, particularly that the unexpected joy of being sober by Catherine Gray that was a big book for you in in deciding to become sober right 
Yeah, so I actually listened to it on Audible the day that I decided that I was going to stop drinking. Um, I was on the tube. I always say this is like fate. I was on the tube about, must have been about a month before when her book was coming out. And I read an interview with her in Stylist. And it just stayed in the back of my brain, I think. I I read it and it it just kept with me. And I remember I took a picture of the book and I was like, I'm going to order that because I think my drinking's getting a bit out of hand. And then when I woke up that morning, I just thought, I think I'm going to download that book. So I downloaded it. Um, And for me, it was the first thing I'd ever seen in my entire life that looked at the joy of sobriety that wasn't doom and gloom, that wasn't here's a step-by-step of how you give up because it kind of sounds silly, but I I knew how to give up. I just had to stop drinking. That was what I had to do. So to then look at embracing all the positives and looking forward, that was so important to me. And there was loads of parallels in Catherine's book. Like she'd worked in the same office that I had and I always say she was a little bit older than me. So it was like a window into what my drinking was going to look like. She kind of talked about how her drinking was at my age. And I was like, that is how my drinking is now. And then kind of where she was. And, and I really thought, wow, if, if I keep drinking, that's where I'm going to be. So that for me was like the most important book. And um, actually Catherine has given me a lovely endorsement, um, which is on the cover of this book. And that just feels like an amazing full circle moment for me that the person you know, who was such a big influence in, in my life, I like still know now and has helped me. Like the Sober Girl Society handbook wouldn't be here without her book. So I, I, I owe a lot to her. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. I love I love her writing and I also love her The Unexpected Joy of Being Single book as well. So yeah, lots She's of her. a fantastic writer, amazing yeah, writer. Absolutely brilliant. And I find it really interesting that you said you got into reading fiction as well. Why, why was that? Do you think... That was the sort of, yeah, I think alcohol is often associated with a source of escapism. Do you think fiction perhaps provided that for you as well? I was just going to say escapism because, yeah, you find new ways to switch off. I think that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, like we've all got our drugs and that's like alcohol or social media or like we've all got our ways to kind of like switch off and quieten the voices in our head. And I just felt like I needed something that was a bit healthier than drinking or endlessly scrolling I wanted something that actually expanded my mind and I learned from so I I kind of started reading a lot more fiction as well because uh, when I was at uni I did English literature and language and I think after university I was like I'm never reading a single book again (laughs) like that's fiction so then I just really didn't so I was like I think I'm gonna get back into it again I like rediscovered something that I really liked doing before drinking just became the default for everything yeah yeah escapism quite can quite often be used in a negative way because it's often you know for me it denotes kind of addiction sometimes you know using things to escape your thoughts but I I suppose it's important to say it's not you don't have to be with your thoughts every second of every day it's just sometimes there are better modes of escapism than others and again you know whether that's sitting scrolling social media or you know drinking too much those things aren't particularly nourishing whereas fiction can be a type of escapism which is nourishing a hundred percent I think if you were to sit with your thoughts every single minute of every single day like you would drive yourself insane so you do need some form of escapism for me it was just working out okay well what is a healthier version of escapism and you know for me it's like reading books and watching Christmas films so that's kind of like my escapism and that doesn't damage my body or my mind in the way that drinking does or the way that scrolling does. Millie it's been so wonderful speaking to you. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that eye-rolling cliche as it is, sharing really is caring. So if you enjoyed this episode and think others would benefit from it too, click the share button to send it to a friend or post the link on social media. That's all for now. Until next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.